Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. That's right, another late night episode because I gotta be out the door at 6.30 o'clock in the morning. And so we're getting a nightly episode here just after the game ended. The final from Comerica Ballpark in Detroit. It's the Tigers won, the Indians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And I got to say, for a pitcher's duel, for a game with seven hits total and only one run scored, it was actually a pretty enjoyable game to watch. I mean, the game moved at a fairly decent clip, and uh, Tristan McKenzie definitely provided a lot of intrigue Uh, returning to the starting rotation for one night only, Uh, although they just announced that he may be the 27th player when the doubleheader against the White Sox comes up next Monday. It's an easy roster move for them to make. And uh, so, yeah, so and because of the doubleheader, they kind of get the freedom to call up whoever they want to call up in that situation. So he's going to get another one night only appearance out of this probably. So yeah, so there were things that went on in this game, but what didn't go on were hits and runs, you know, usually the things that make a game interesting. Uh, Instead, we got a real deep analysis of Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill. And uh, don't let the fact that he went three innings, right, that means something. Don't let it fool you. That means something, right? They're definitely stretching him out to be a starter, to get a start at some point in the near future. They talked about it on the broadcast. They think maybe he could go four innings right now. And uh, yeah, they're going to get him up to Sam Hench's, you know, levels of, of, you know, four or five innings pitched as a starter. And this team's carrying so many relievers that it's not going to be a problem. We're not blowing out arms. We're not tiring guys out. We're we're using all our bullpen arms. We're, We're using all the arms we got because we're not bothering with a bench. Because nobody's hitting anyway. So, uh, yeah. So, that's the state of the Indians right now. So, let's get into the storylines. Let's talk about it here. Tristan McKenzie does have a no-hitter going for a little bit. He eventually gives up a hit. A weak, weak single in the fifth inning. Up the middle. And then, uh, Terry Francona basically decides it's 73 pitches. Only five hard-hit balls. Yes, three walks, but five strikeouts, and the only the one hit allowed. He decides, you know what? Tristan McKenzie has given us a really good effort. We should have given him a little offensive support. Go ahead, hit the showers. You did good, kid. You did good in your one-night-only appearance. So that's that's the decision that Francona made, and frankly, I'm not surprised. I mean, once he got through the order the first time, I was thinking they might do something like that. I I was fully expecting him to go maybe three innings tonight and then get taken out of the game because, uh, you know, function more like an opener than a starter because he seems to do really well the first time through the lineup. And then that fourth inning, things get crazy. So that's my first storyline here. Now, coming into the game over on Baseball Reference, they've got great splits. If you want to look at the splits, Baseball Reference is the place to go. And they got the breakdown by inning. His, uh, the batting average, well, let's go ERA. His ERA in the first inning is 1.29. He comes out and dominates in the first inning. He's got 15 strikeouts and 25 at-bats in the first inning. 
Uh, the batting average against is 200. Now, in the second inning, that's where things start to get a little dicey. The walks go up. His ERA jumps to 771 in the second inning. But the batting average against is only 130. They're not really getting a lot of hits against him. Uh, the ERA in the third inning is 6.0. Again, batting average is really low, though, 1.43. He is starting to walk people, though. Then the fourth inning. His ERA jumps to 16.88 in the fourth inning. He walks nine guys in the fourth inning, the most of any inning so far uh, that he's pitched. And the batting average jumps to 292. He's given up three home runs in that fourth inning. So not only is he putting guys on base, but now he's giving up hits. Now he's giving up even more home runs. Now it's turning into a real problem. The OPS against him in the fourth inning is 1.193. Yikes. So that's the storyline here, the fourth inning. So what happens in the fourth inning of this game? Let's go to the matchups and let's take a look because he does have a no-hitter going through the first three innings. So that fourth inning comes around. He's facing the top of the lineup. Now, the inning that he always falls apart in, he starts out by falling behind a little bit on Robbie Grossman. Misses with a fastball outside. Gets a fastball down the middle that he fouls off. Nah, high. Stays high with it, and he fouls it off. Um, Pitches are coming in at 90 uh, miles per hour. Goes a little bit harder, 92 miles per hour, but misses inside with it. It's all high fastballs at this point. So now it's a 2-1 count. Great call on a curveball here. He drops it in for a strike. I was really impressed with his curveball. The CSW isn't as high as I thought it was going to be on his curveball. The CSW on the day for his curveball was 35%, which is pretty good. The slider was really great, 55% on the slider. Uh, The changeup was 50%. He didn't throw those that many times. He used the slider and the changeup when he needed to. Uh, The CSW on the fastball was 24%. They were still ready for that fastball. All right, but back to the Robbie Grossman matchup because I believe this is the at-bat where Rivera called for another curveball and McKenzie shakes him off. He doesn't want to. At this point, it's a 2-2 count. If he lays off a low curveball, he gets him into a full count situation, and that's not a place McKenzie wants to be in. He wants to attack right here. So he shakes him off, says, let me throw the fastball, and he paints the outside corner for a called strike to end the at-bat, to strike out Grossman. So there you go. That's how he's starting this fourth inning. Harold Castro comes up. Different situation against Castro. I don't know what the scouting report is on Castro, but they're going curveball heavy on this one. So throws him a curveball in the dirt, gets him to swing through it. Throws another curveball outside for a ball. Drops a third curveball on the outside edge. This is a left-handed hitter on the outside edge for a called strike. Now he's ahead in the count, and now he attacks with the fastball. Throws him a high fastball, 93.6. So that's the top. That's top velocity for McKenzie, 93.6. Remember, some of the ones he threw to Grossman were only at 90. So he really rears back and fires a high fastball and gets him to swing through it. Two strikeouts for McKenzie now in this fourth inning. Candelario comes up and he loses it. He loses it. This is what would happen to him in those other starts. Fastball away, can't get the edge. 
Tries to throw a changeup. Must have lost the grip on it. Something goes wrong with the changeup. It's way high. It's like over his head. All right. Back to the fastballs here. Throws him another one right at the top edge of the zone. Doesn't get it called for a strike. And then uh, throws him another fastball high and away for ball four. So walks him on four straight pitches. And these are the things that would get McKenzie into trouble, right? Just completely losing the strike zone. So what does he do against Miguel Cabrera? Throws him a first pitch slider. And uh, Cabrera, who was taking a little bit in his first at bat, decides, I'm going up there and I am swinging against this guy. I am not going to let him get ahead in the count on me. Swings at the first two pitches, fouls off a slider low, fouls off a fastball on the inside edge to the right-handed hitter, lays off a fastball way high and away, and then throws him another fastball in the zone. Frankly, a pitch that I think Miguel Cabrera thought he got a little bit more of. Uh, it had an exit velocity of 93.8, but it's only a fly out to Harold Ramirez in right field. 268 uh, feet, it's expected batting average of only 0.10. So not a threat at all. So yeah, he works through that fourth inning. He doesn't let the demons of the fourth inning haunt him after walking uh, Candelario on four straight pitches, right? He could have fallen apart right then and there with two outs, but he didn't. He held it together, and he really, and he attacked Miguel Cabrera. He came at him hard with fastballs and threw strikes. So that is the difference for Tristan McKenzie. That's the big storyline from McKenzie's start, and it would continue throughout uh, you know, all five innings like this. He was really attacking the strike zone. Uh, let's see, how many pitches did he throw here? He threw 73 pitches, 44 he threw for strikes. And looking at the illustrator, the fastball is really in there for in the strike zone, four strikes. That's a 60% on his strikes. The fastball is really located well in the strike zone. Same thing with the curveball. He's dropping a lot of curveballs in the strike zone. Same thing with the slider, throwing that slider in the zone, even throwing the slider high sometimes. If you compare that to the start on May 21st, the one against the Minnesota Twins that got incredibly out of control, it's the nine-run fourth inning that the Minnesota Twins put up, the fastball is not being located in the zone. Yes, he puts a couple on the left edge of the plate, most of them are high, and he's missing high with that fastball. He's missing high with the slider or down and away with the slider. He's missing down and away with the curveball. Was not the case in this start. The curveball he was dropping in the zone, or when he threw it low, it was on the plate still so that they would go and chase it. The slider, he did throw that slider away, but he actually got a lot of good swing and miss on that slider. He got seven swings, four whiffs, on that slider. So it's something that was working. It was something that he was using effectively to get strikeouts, to get guys to swing and miss. So yeah, so it was a much, much better approach from Tristan McKenzie. Does he still have some things to work on? Absolutely. And they made a good point on the TV broadcast where we got in a little spoiled lately from guys like Bieber and Polisek and Savali really just hitting the ground running once they got to the major leagues. Corey Kluber bounced back and forth before he figured it out. Uh, You remember all the way back to Cliff Lee. It took Cliff Lee a really long time to become the pitcher, you know, the Cy Young winning pitcher that Cliff Lee became. 
CC Sabathia, I feel like, is a guy that was kind of had it figured out from the moment he got here. And he matured and got better as a pitcher, but he definitely had the raw stuff from the moment he set foot here. Um, man, other guys lately. Uh, you can run through all of them. I mean, Justin Masterson, remember he, he, fa- he struggled in Boston. He found it for a little bit here. He was a pretty good starter for a little bit and then lost it completely. Um, who are some other dominant? Bauer, Trevor Bauer bounced around a little bit before he figured it out and put it all together here in Cleveland, and obviously has carried it forward to Cincinnati and L.A. So yeah, these guys, Clevenger. uh, Clevenger seemed to stick once he got here. He seemed to be one of those guys that figured it out once he got here, and I think he kind of set the table for Bieber and Plesak and Savali to figure it out once they got here. But it's not that common. Guys bounce back and forth, right? What we're seeing right now with McKenzie, I don't know what's going on with Logan Allen. But some of these guys bouncing back and forth between, especially in their rookie seasons or their first full seasons of Major League Baseball is not that uncommon. So very, very positive, encouraging start from Tristan McKenzie. Unfortunately, on the other side of things, Urania was pitching just as good. Um, he had a, a bit of a sticky situation in the second inning. And the second inning is really, I mean, it was base running I wouldn't say bad base running. I would say unlucky base running from the Indians that saved Urania early in the game. So he walks, after getting two outs, he walks Jose Ramirez. And Jose Ramirez gets a decent jump on him, tries to steal second, but he's thrown out. Uh, the catcher for the Tigers, uh, let's see, who was that guy? It was not Haas today. It was Rogers. Rogers actually played some pretty good defense. He threw a guy out running. He took a... Th- Took a throw, you know, received the throw and tagged the guy out, which we're about to talk about in a second. He fielded a bunt attempt really well. Jake Rogers, 26 years old, showed some really, really spry defense. And he's able to gun out Jose Ramirez. It's the first time Jose Ramirez is caught stealing all season. Then, in the second inning, Eddie Rosario leads off with a single. Harold Ramirez grounds into a double play. Hey, he hit it 1044 mile per hour exit velocity, but it's a double play. Josh Naylor follows it up with a single, and then Owen Miller hits a double into the left center field gap, but Dew is able to cut it off, and we get the slow motion play at the plate that, uh, you know, I was seeing on Twitter the people listening on the radio thought he was out by a mile the way Hamilton called it. I think the reason Hamilton called it like that is because he was always going to pee out. Like, you could just do the math on it. And the speed he runs, Josh Naylor is slow. He just is. He's a slow runner. I feel for him. I'm, I'm a slow runner, so I feel for him. Uh, it probably felt like Josh Naylor was moving really fast to him. But he was really chugging. He was really losing steam coming down that third baseline. And I think he just ran out of steam. I think that's... I, I would love to see the uh, the stack cast sprint speed analysis because I guarantee whatever speed he went from first to second, it was about a uh, you know two thirds of that speed coming third to home. And uh, but dude doesn't make an incredibly strong throw. He but he hits the cutoff man. The cutoff man doesn't really make an incredibly hard throw. It was a kind of a lazy one hop throw to the catcher Rogers, and he slaps the tag right on his side as he's sliding into the plate. Clear as day that he's out, uh, not even challengeable. And, uh, yeah, we ran ourselves out of that inning. You know, we we had 
we had four hits in that three hits in that inning and uh four hard hit balls in that inning. Well, Naylor's was 93, so close to four hard hit balls and nothing to show for it. And then things just got rough. We did get two guys on in the uh in the third with a BL walk and a hit by a pitch, but Jose Ramirez flew out and then things just quieted down for the Indians offense. Um, we would get a guy on in the sixth, we'd get a guy on in the seventh, we'd get a guy on in the eighth, but nothing we could do. In fact, all those came with two outs and we just couldn't, we got a guy on in the ninth and we just couldn't do anything with it. Eventually Josh Naylor lines into a double play. They get double up Eddie Rosario off first base to end the game. So, I mean, the Indians offense just got really cold, really cold after that, I guess third inning when they had two guys on. It was just one of those games, man. The pitchers were just out there dominating for both sides. I don't know how much more analysis I could really give this game because we didn't do much. Owen Miller had his first extra base hit, I believe, his first extra base hit, his double, uh, that almost scored Josh Naylor. He actually had two hits on the day. He, uh, he legged out another infield single. Uh, he hit one that pulled Miguel Cabrera off the bag and then just sprinted and beat Cisnero over to first base, and it would be the last hit the Indians would get. Um, yeah, I, I, there's nobody. I'm giving MVP for the day to Tristan McKenzie, and he really, really stepped up in a very awkward situation where he had just got sent down, just got brought back up because of injury. It was a really awkward situation, and he handled it. His composure was incredible on the mound. He was focused. He seemed like he was very zen on the mound. He seemed very in control, wasn't, wasn't getting animated, wasn't getting fired up, almost, almost the opposite of what you're seeing from pitchers now, right? Pitchers now are getting more fired up than ever, and Tristan McKenzie was very zen, very calm and under control on the mound. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a great appearance for a guy put in a very awkward situation. So, Tristan McKenzie, for controlling the game, for taking your no-hitter into the fifth inning, you get MVP for the day. Well, look, a four-game series is tough. If it were a three-game series, you know, we'd say, hey, we won the series at least. But we got to play a fourth game. It's a day game in Detroit. Bieber is going up against Boyd. And just like every game up until this point, you feel like we have the pitching matchup, but neither of these offenses are really clicking right now. So let's see, you know, it would have been great to scratch across a run in that second inning for Tristan McKenzie. Like that would have done so much to give him a lead. It felt like the game was on edge. I mean, it was. Look at the win probability line. It was right there in the middle waiting for somebody to swing it. And the Indians just could never swing it in their direction. Getting him a run would have been so important. So let's see if we can get Shane Bieber a run or two early in the game and set him up for some success. All right, that's all my thoughts. I mean, actually, I take that back. That's not all my thoughts. There's one more thing we got to talk about, and that's the Indians finally making a statement about Mickey Calloway. You remember my Mickey Calloway episode from, you know, weeks ago, and it was pretty upsetting uh, that the Indians didn't have anything strong to say at that time. Now that the investigation is over and he's out of baseball right now, uh, hopefully for, for good, 
I don't want to see him again. I can't imagine a team would want to see him again. So he's suspended from baseball, and the Indians finally now have come out and said something. And uh, basically they talked about, uh, even though they were not found guilty of anything in the eyes of MLB's investigation, they know and admit that they did not have the proper procedures in place and the proper proper organizational structure in place for people's voices to be heard and for people to feel safe to come forward. So they, they recognize that they've hired an independent, you know, person to come through and evaluate those things and to set their organization up to be an organization where people feel safe, where the women feel safe to work there and feel heard and respected. So I guess, I, I guess, I mean, it's all words at this point still, but at least the Indians finally, the Indians ownership, right, came out and finally said something about it and made a commitment to be better going forward. So I'm glad they were, I'm glad they recognized it and that they're doing something about it, right? There's nothing to be glad about in this situation. It's still a terrible situation and you can't change the past, but you can be better going forward. And that's what we're asking right now. We're asking them to be better moving forward. All right. That is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about that 1 o'clock game with Shane Bieber. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. We'll be back to doing this show in the morning soon, but I got to get through the rest of this work week, through the rest of this work weekend. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Nightly.